Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What you want, your mom's favorite podcast about the beautiful game. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies and Jesse Marshmallow Marsh, and we have a great show for you today as we dive into how our fellow Americans did in the Champions League as that competition finished up their group stages this week. We'll also talk Major League Soccer's offseason and potential new rules so they can make sure Leo Messi and Inter Miami win the league next year. And of course, we will preview the big games of our national team player pool and where they're playing this weekend. But first, we know that this sport is known by many names around the world. we got football, calcio, soccer, fuchi ball. So we're going to play a little game here in our call it what you want word of the day. So Jesse and Charlie, which language slash country calls the beautiful game Yakapalo? And Jesse, uh, I'll let you go first. Yakapalo. Yakapalo. That sounds like some kind of African dialect. Man, Yakapalo <laughs> sounds getting close to South Africa. I was going to say Botswana. I'm going to go with – I was going to say Botswana too, Charlie. We're gonna, <laughs> For real? going to stick with that. I think – yes, I swear to you. I think Charlie and I regionally have picked out the exact tribal <laughs> description. Okay. Uh, well, first, it's not Botswana, but I'll give you a clue here. Uh, one of Messi's inter-Miami teammates is from this country. Ooh. I don't know if that helps. Well, it should help. It can narrow it down to yeah, 30 it players. It definitely narrows it <laughs> yeah. down. Let me look at the roster really quick. <laughs> I is, right. it, is it Africa, Jimmy? Can you at least help us with it, that? It is, it, is, it is not Africa. Wow. wow. So I'll rule out, I'll rule out okay. a continent and many, many countries. Uh, uh, I'll give you another second clue. Okay. This is a European country that has never qualified for the World Cup. Jacopolo. Hmm. One of Messi's hmm. Inter Miami teammates, Christoph. 
Ah, is that Finland? Is Finland! That Finland? Oh. <laughs> yes! yes! Let's go! Come on, Chuck Wagon. Come on, well Chuck Wagon. Come Damn. on, Chuck Wagon. You guys I knew, Marsh- I knew Marshmallow would get it. In God. 30 seconds. <laughs> All right, boys, education. let's talk about the Champions League. Let's get into the Champions League because we now are left with 16 teams after the group stage is finished. But I want to talk about the group of death in particular that had Newcastle, it had yeah. AC Milan, it had Dortmunds, and it had PSG. And Dortmunds, after losing their first game of the group stages, won three and had two draws to end up topping the group. PSG gets seconds. AC Milan end up getting third, even though Newcastle had the lead over them in this past week. And they came back and won 2 1. Christian Pulisic scored in that game. Yunus Musa also started that game. So I really want to talk about Milan. And, and Jesse, I want to ask you first and foremost were you surprised to see both Pulisic and Musa in the starting 11 in such a big game? I love that Stefano Pioli, the manager of Milan, is trusting our Americans in, in such a pivotal moment. And, and Pulisic delivered, and Musa was, was out there. I don't know if those guys really put their stamp on the game and all the intangibles, let's say, but. A goal is a goal is a goal. So, Jesse, your thoughts on Milan and, and the group overall? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was in the stadium for three home Milan matches when I was covering things um, in San Siro with CBS. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in general, I, I, I think Musa used this tournament to really establish himself with the group. And I think that he's had a lot of really good performances. Uh, you go to Newcastle. It's not an easy place to play, right? St. St. James Park is, with my time in the Premier League, maybe besides Anfield, the hardest place to go, the stadium with the, with the most energy. Uh, I thought that, that they played well. They kept themselves in the match. Obviously, they wind up getting the win. For me, Musa, you know, his role in the team is to be a little bit mobile, to, to rotate sometimes a little bit wide, to get balls and build up. Uh, they do a lot of man marking in the midfield. I was at that match in Milan when they played Newcastle, and they really took Bruno out of the, out of the match by doing that. Uh, and and sometimes I feel like they leave Christian so much to just wait on the wing for big switches of play or the ball to get out there to find him that he doesn't always get to insert himself into the game in, in ways that he could be where he could be more dynamic, where he could be more dangerous, where he could be in the box more. So. I just like it when I see Christian when he's more active, when he's coming inside, when he's running behind, when he's getting on the ball, when he's pressing without the ball. So, you know, in the end, they wind up qualifying for Europa League. That was clearly not their goal. And this was a fun group to watch as well throughout the entire time. But, you know, in general, I think both performed admirably in Champions League. And now they'll have a chance in Europa League to see if they can push for the title. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and Chuck, I'm going to jump in really quick. AC Milan has never won the Europa League, and, and Rafael Leal came out after the game and said, we're going to try to win a competition that we've never won before. So at least they're looking at the silver linings of finishing third in their Champions League group stage. But yeah, I want to get your thoughts on Pulisic and Musa as well, Chuck. Well, I, I would just say, to go off of what Jesse said, it feels like the tact under Pioli, especially, Christian feels like the, you, you have to really be tactically disciplined with that position and you know, like Guardiola, if if I'm telling you to play that wing position, you have to hold and keep that width and not come in, even though you want to, even though you feel like maybe you're not getting the necessary touches to get involved and make an impact. It, it feels like he is very concerned with sticking to that uh, 
that instruction. Um, and sometimes that works out and that's what the manager wants. And that's what you got to do, even though it feels unnatural, it doesn't feel right. But uh, ultimately, I think Yunus Musa did a good job of, of just being a shuttler, keeping possession. Um, mm-hmm. He connected almost every single pass. It, you almost want him to take more risks. And I get in a Champions League match, it's super important just to to be an option and to keep the ball moving, keep possession within the team, not so much breaking lines and running at the back lines and trying to create chances. Although I think we all know Musa can eventually get there, but it was a, a very solid match from, from Yunus Musa. And in, in terms of Christian Pulisic, I'm with you, Jesse. You wanted more, but I get from his perspective, hey, I'm doing what the coaches asked me to do. I, sc- I got the goal. I put myself on the, that position. Olivier Giroud made a great pass. But yes, um, we all feel like he, he could do more in this match. Now, Jesse, I want to get your thoughts from a coaching perspective here with regard to what Chuck is saying, because there are moments, and, and all of us have coached at varying levels, not as high. Me and Chuck combined haven't coached at, at your level. <laughs> I mean, come on, U10, U10 rec team, you know, it can only get you so far here as you're trying to get your coaching badges. But, but is there... And how many, wait, how many wins do you have with that team again, Jimmy? You know, you know, it's, you it's more about how we play, Jesse. You know, we're yeah. trying to yeah. okay. do okay. the how right now. Right. Listen, okay. it's, right. it's, a it's a process. It's a process. You gotta trust it. Stick to the process. You gotta trust it. So, yeah. so with regard, when I think about Christian Pulisic, if he's being asked to do certain things and to stay wide, even though he might want to get involved in different ways, if you were coaching and he made a play that kind of went outside of what you were asking him to do and that play was successful, would you begrudge him for it? I mean, how would you handle that? That's one. And then second, this is a bigger question, but I, I want to give you the mic for a while because I like to talk and so does Chuck. Uh, what's Eunice Musa's best position? So, so Pulisic and then Eunice Musa. What do you got? Yeah, <laughs> listen, I, in general, in, in general, the way I think about how to instruct the team tactically, you have to have a plan, you have to have roles, and you have to make it clear to all the players as to how all those roles fit in with each other. Okay, that's what tactics are in general. But one thing you don't want for me is to ha- is have the tactics handcuff players. You still want them to tactics to empower players to go out, to play freely, to go after the game and to be their best and to play to their strengths. So, of course, we any of us who have played for coaches, we know we have roles and we know what the tactics are. We know in our position what the expectations are. But there are also moments in the game where you feel something or you see something or you want to attack somewhere or or you want to go after the game and insert yourself. And that's kind of what I feel like with Christian a little bit. And I, and I get it. But but just like by sprinting more, by running more, by by running in behind, by being more active, I think that's a way that you can always insert yourself into the game. Right. And often as attacking players, I, I feel like, you know, when players are on the ball, a lot of times players off the ball will raise their hand or like show with their hands where they want the ball. And I always try to tell players, if you're ahead of the ball and a player and a player's on the ball, the best way to catch their eye is to make dynamic movements, to make slashing runs. This is the way to catch your, your teammate's eye. And when you do it with the timing right, then you put yourself in dangerous positions and you make yourself an option. So, you know, I, I'm not at training every day. I'm not, I'm not at the video sessions. I don't know exactly what they're asking of Christian. But for me, for my taste, I just feel like he stands on the touchline too much and isn't able to get himself into the game. Now, with Musa, yeah, I think <laughs> – do you guys want to respond to that? Charlie, you good with that? 
No, I'm 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 good. I, I was I'm, I'm good. just dialed in. I'm, I hear I'm hearing Jimmy laughing in the back. I just I don't know what's well, going on. I asked okay. I asked I asked two loaded questions, and so I you know it's just funny. Let's yeah. I mean, take a pause. Yeah, well let, let's Musa. go to let's go to Musa. Well, I'm taking bit. notes. I, 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 I want to be a coach okay. one day, so I'm taking notes from what <laughs> yes. the coaches think. Okay, good, good, good. Um, you know, Musa I think has a lot of flexibility in his game. I I liked when he when he you know sometimes with the national team he'll play against the ball where he's pressing a little bit, like a higher eight or a 10, but then with the ball, he'll come back more into a six position. Uh, I like when he floats around, sometimes when he finds a little space out wide, getting him on the ball. I think he's clever on the ball. I think he's very clean and technically gifted and he's a good passer. You know, and, and I think as if you could, I think he's best as an eight. And if you could still use him as an eight that that joins into the attack a little bit later, makes a few more runs in behind the back line, which they could then free up space for Christian Pulisic to maybe come underneath or come inside. And if they had a few more of these rotations, not just in buildup, but actually in the last third, I think that that's a way that they could become more dy- dynamic, more dangerous, and score more goals. Jesse, so, was it ev- um, evident to you? You know, when you have – I was going to say, Go ahead. Justin, Sorry, was it when you were at the game, you're watching, was it evident to you that Milan don't really have a number 10? Because Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he plays high, but we know he's not a 10. He's not the the facilitator, yeah. you know, silky smooth on the ball, looking to to break the lines with passes. And then Reinders is also more of a, he played more advanced than, than a Yunus Musa. So Yunus Musa, like he earned that yellow card because... Yeah. He's responsible. He's got to get back and play more of a defensive role when he's partnered with those two. So that kind of handcuffs him in a way, given that those two are feeling a little bit more adventurous when when it comes to a, the the attacking phase of the game. Yeah, and I think, yes, I agree with that. And I think Milan puts so much emphasis on the buildup part of possession. And I, and I can see their clear ideas and tactics, like they'll move Musa, um, out wide a little bit and they'll put him on the touchline next to Christian. Then they'll bring Giroud underneath sometimes to create a little connection there. They'll slide the other eight over in underneath the back line. But once they overplay the first phase of the game into the opponent, then their ability to create more dynamic movements and ideas of how to attack in the last third and how to create mo- movements in the box and how to get numbers in the box for me, isn't quite as clear. And that's where, for me, there's a little bit of a breakdown and, and a lack of, of goal production in dangerous moments. And then I also think they could be more dynamic in transition, right? They they win a lot of balls. They play backward. They get in the possession phase instead of thinking, let's win balls. Let's use some of our athleticism. Let's get Christian out on the run. Chuck Wazy when he plays. Leao, you know, and use some of their dynamic attacking players to, to be dangerous in transition. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're good in possession. They are. But but I would like to see more dynamic play. Well, Christian Pulisic, 73 minutes played in that game against Newcastle at St. James's Park. One goal. Uh, he had one cross. Also, first American to score Champions League goals with three different clubs. Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, and Milan. That's pretty cool. Yunus Musa has started 11 of the last 12 goal excuse me, 12 games that Milan has played. So clearly getting that trust from Pioli. We'll see if he gets to start this weekend when Milan take on Monza. We'll get into that game a little bit later. But let's finish the group of death. Borussia Dortmund and PSG. Chuck, I'm coming to you. Gio Reyna, we have a siding. He came off the bench and played nine minutes in the 1-1 draw. Yep. And then what happened at the end? How do you tell me? I don't, I don't, what happened? I was oh, watching the Newcastle AC Milan game. <laughs> well, just, just to go off the, to end the Newcastle Milan conversation, I think they're too reliant on Rafael Leao. 
in terms of we don't really know what's going on in the attacking third in terms of creativity if we don't use Raphael because it's like let's get him isolated 1v1 whatever you do end it with him and then we'll play off of him whether he's just going to take it to goal himself or create for others and I think if that breaks down or if that's taken away that's where Milan struggle but uh, to move forward to the Dortmund game, uh, Dortmund still, to me, are not all that convincing uh, when they play. If I'm in the the knockout round, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind facing a Dortmund side because they're very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I don't think they're consistent. And so when Gio Reyna gets in, which he came in in the 81st minute, so he he has you know hasn't really featured all that much. Let's put it that way. The match ends and there's an argument. You can see that he is having some sort of disagreement or or conversation that is not going the, the way that you'd like, a pleasant conversation uh, with with their manager. And, and, you know, obviously a player like him, he's going to be frustrated. He wants to be playing more. And so you're wondering, why isn't he playing more? Because Dortmund clearly need... Uh, someone who's gifted like him has his skill set in the attacking third to create more chances, generate more goals. And it, it hasn't really happened. I mean, they lost to Leipzig and that was a big match. They've been doing pretty consistent in, in Champions League, but they're not a convincing team. Okay. No, I, I, I agree with you. And especially the, 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 as a former center back, the lack of speed in that back line, I think Mbappe and Kola Moani, definitely exposed them a, a few times and getting in behind. Sula made a, an unbelievable clearance off the goal line. But let's talk about Gio in particular, Jesse. Now, he's only logged 20 combined minutes, I think, in two substitute group stage appearances. So clearly they're not relying on him. But what I think is interesting and, and a stat that I found that I think should inform our conversation, last season, Gio scored seven goals and provided two assists in just 625 minutes, which made him the club's fifth highest goal contributor that was despite playing half the minutes of everybody else and 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 geo average a goal contribution every 69 minutes with only Erling Holland having a better minutes per goal ratio in Europe's top five leagues that's pretty ridiculous but yet Edin Tursich the manager of Dortmund can't find him minutes for whatever reason this season your thoughts on geo and and should he get out of Dortmund's and and he's another player too and I'd love to know what you think his best position is yeah it's so you know, I had uh, Renee Marich, who was on the staff at Dortmund with Marco Rosa with me in Leeds. And I asked him sometimes, you know, how was it with Gio? And he really likes Gio. He loves his talent. He said first thing was that keeping him healthy was always a big issue. And every time that they sent him with the national team and he came back, he was almost always in danger or quickly uh, got injured. And so they felt like they never really – got to kickstart a really good development process with him because they were always just fighting injuries. And then he said to me, he even felt like Gio a little bit played a little bit less dynamic in games at times because he felt that he was maybe in danger of picking up another injury. And that's what he didn't want. So, you know, battling injuries for a player can be really difficult, really difficult to manage. And, and it's, it plays with you psychologically you can't really get into a rhythm. You're not feeling like you can ever be at your best. And I think Gio's been in a couple of years where that has been a little bit of the case. Okay. And then when when Royce is hurt, because he's another player that they struggle to keep healthy, then Gio gets a little bit more playing time and tends to play that withdrawn striker or the 10 role. 
So, you know, then they can kind of use him a little bit more. But when Royce is healthy, he's almost always the first choice for that role in that position. And, and, and as he should be for me. I mean, Marco Royce is one of my favorite players in the Bundesliga. So should he stay? Should he go? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I think Dortmund in general is a wonderful club for development of players while still trying to achieve uh, playing the game at a high level and, and finding and winning titles, right? That's, that's one thing that they've been about over the last however many years. But certainly I think Gio has to find a way, whether it's at Dortmund or not, to, to first stay healthy. I think this is his biggest challenge right now is how does he stay healthy and fit and strong so that he can really perform at his best. And then we can really start to talk about what's the potential, what's the best role, where should he go, where should he play? You know, until we get to that point, I think it's always going to be a little bit of a struggle. I think the big question is, can we ever get to that point? And uh, I guess time will tell. All right, we're going to take our first break of Call It What You Want. And before we get there, I want to say Cameron Carter-Vickers, though healthy, coming back from a hamstring injury for Celtic. Brendan Rodgers, the manager, did not want to risk him in Celtic's 2-1 win over Feyenoord. Celtic finished bottom of that group, so no more Europe for them. But that allows them to focus on their domestic league instead as they go to win the title once again over their hated rivals Rangers. Anyway, we're going to take our break. When we come back, we got more Champions League to get into, especially from the PSV perspective and a little MLS down the line as well. Don't go anywhere. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Beautiful from Dest. Elastica. Look at the sauce there from Serginho Dest, who came on as a sub, even though he'd started the five previous games for PSV. They qualified for the round of 16 with a 1-1 draw against Arsenal. A very good game, not only for Serginho, who's doing a little magic there in the corner, but also with Ricardo Pepe getting his first start of the season. And he had an assist in this game and uh, had a great chance sitting on a platter there for him. Gabriel ended up having a little toe poke that pushed it over the bar and Malik Tillman, I thought was excellent. Had some really good passing in this particular game to unlock the Arsenal defense. Charlie, I'm going to come to you as our resident Arsenal fan. Uh, what do you think about this PSV performance, including our Americans in particular? I was really interested to see how Ricardo Pepe would deal with a Gabriel and a William Saliba of Arsenal, right? Those are two of the best center backs in the English Premier League, especially as a partnership and his holdup play, his movement, was super dynamic. It was the best I've seen of Ricardo Pepe in terms of his hold-up play, his movement, his passing. Um, he, he got the assist in the game. Uh, also, Malik Tillman being able to, to play that one pass with the outside of his boot. Uh, it, I just liked what I saw from Ricardo Pepe and the way that he approached this game because we know he's the backup, right? He's playing behind the captain, Luke de Jong. There's, that's no secret. But all you can do as a player is focus on the minutes that you get and not let that hold you back saying, no matter what I do, I'm not going to start. Earn your playing time. And he's doing that. He's proving that he has what it takes to be successful, not only with PSV and in the league, but in the Champions League, which is opening more doors for him, more 
opportunities, more possibilities. So I, I love the fact that he really took uh, a great showing in this match. And then Serginho Des came in as a substitute and we saw the Meg, but the finished product of that play was, yeah, he whipped in across, it got cleared out. But in terms of a player with so much ability, especially in the attacking half as a right back, he he hasn't even scratched the ceiling yet of of how good he can be as a right back. I know he has to work a little bit better on his defensive responsibilities, but this is a guy now that you have to worry about temperament. And I, I'm curious, Jesse, knowing how good Serginho Dest is and has been, how would you handle him as a coach? Have you had to deal with a player like that in in your time in Europe? You know, because Europeans they're different. You know, the, their mindset's different. The way they're brought up is different than your your standard American kid. So, uh, how how would you kind of figure out a way to get the most out of Serginho, hold him accountable, but also make sure that the team's watching you and, and you're you're not you know alienating some of the the, the relationships with them. Yeah, first, uh, this game for me was at an extremely high level right from the start. Both teams were going after each other. Both teams with the ball with some really good movement and ideas. Both teams really wanting to go after the game in every way. So really, and, and I'll talk about Pepe as well in a bit. But, you know, with Dest, uh, watching him from afar, I've met him a couple times. I don't really know him. He's clearly a big talent and he's a special personality. And for me as a coach, I, I like those guys. I like the guys that aren't always the easiest to deal with. Every coach, every manager can manage the guy that's yes, sir, no, sir, shows up on time, comes early, leaves late. You know, those guys are obviously still really important to have the right kind of mentality guys in your team. But often the most gifted players are also special personalities. And so my way is, is just to invest with them, to get to know them, to sit down and do a lot of individual video with them, to talk with them on the pitch, to, to ask them what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what, the, what do they want to get? How do they feel like when they're at their best? What things do they like to where in the pitch? Do they like to be? What kind of connections do they like to, to see when they play? And, and then the more that you can add that to what you do and then trust them and believe in them, and yeah, of course, there are times when now things don't go perfectly. And yeah, you have to have discipline. You have to come down on them. But it's about investing in relationships and believing in the power of people to be at their best. And that's the job as the leader and as the manager. So, you know, a, a lot of the best players that I coached were that. They were special personalities. And if I just treated everyone the same, I would not have gotten the most out of them. So Facts. I enjoy that. I enjoy that chance. Erling Holland must have been very difficult um, for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Erling was not one of those. But I mean, I, honestly, the thing with Erling was trying to keep him um, engaged in a way that he felt challenged. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that I needed to remind him on showing up on time and working hard enough. It was giving him more information on how to continue to improve and how to help the team and what his personality meant to the team and and how to continue to push himself every day. And and that this didn't take much encouragement, but he was fun to work with in that sense because he would respond immediately to almost everything you worked with him. 
Jesse, if you're not taking full credit for all of Erling Holland's success, I think you're doing it wrong. I think you uh, should be – that should be on your, your, your no calling way. card for no sure. No way. No way. Uh, so, so, so hey, let's talk about Pepe. Vein, let's talk about Pepe. Well, no, 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 no. I, I want to go back to Des because I think okay. this is – and then we're going to get into Pepe because okay. I want to talk about the Pepe versus Balogun okay. or should they play together type conversation. But with regard to Des and how you're categorizing how you would manage him, I think part of your job as a coach – and you can correct me if I'm wrong even though there's always – different interpretations of how you can coach and manage. Are we not playing to his strengths, Serginho Des, by, by not putting him higher up the field? Not that he has to be an out-and-out -out winger, but if we played a back three and had wingbacks, would that not get more out of potentially Anthony Robinson on the left side and Serginho Des on the right and allow us to have three center backs that can really hold it down? With so you're benching, you're benching Timothy Way if you're doing that is what you're saying? You don't have to bench Timothy Uh Yeah, you do. Well, you're gonna have to bench somebody. That's the good problem we have with the national teams. Yeah. We have some well, depth I, I in, would, our, in our pool. So those but, are but, all, those are those are those are good questions. And 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 Charlie, I I would look at this more like, how do you tweak some of the tactics that you have to put some all the players in positions where they can be at their best, right? So I remember in the beginning, uh, Burhalter was trying Tyler at the right back and then rotating him into the six, and and everyone could see this this couldn't function, right? Right. So, and then sometimes Dest, you know, sometimes Burhalter will go to more of a three buildup and sometimes he'll use Dest in the three, right? Instead of thinking, all right, let's see if we can find him further up the pitch like you're talking about. And then what if we had Polisic on that side and drifted him a little bit more inside and put Way on the other side or if Way likes being on that side, then still create relationships where maybe uh, Dest goes inverted a little bit and then starts to run in the deep in the in the half lane or, or inside lane where when Way gets the ball. And how can you create rotations where those two can be active, getting on the ball, creating combinations, connecting with the striker, you know, and then finding ways to in their in situations to go one V one, to get good crosses in, to be dynamic in this way. So you know, there's a several different tactical nuances that you can you can make so that you can get more of those things out of both of them. And again, and maybe even for me, I still think Pulisic can be good out wide, but for me, he's better when he comes inside, when he's finding the game, and when he's able to be more explosive to run in the box and run in transition. So, so some com for me, some combination of those things would be more interesting. And, and Jimmy, to go off of what you said, right? And not I don't disagree with you at all. But if you do a three five two, let's just say, I, I would Ricard go three four three four three four two one if we're getting into it. But okay, no, well, no. But <laughs> in in order to get two strikers on the pitch that are playing in Champions League level, right, or high quality, we're talking about Ricardo Pepe and Falaren Balogun. I don't think we can ever remember in the U.S. setup where you have two sophisticated, well-rounded strikers that can score goals, who can get in behind, who can hold the ball up, who can move out of space and, and make the right pass. I don't ever recall having two players that can do that at that Brian level. Brian McBride and Landon Donovan erasure right now. No, I'm, so <laughs> give some it, love to BMAC. I'm just kidding. He's the he's landing okay. more of a. I, yeah, but we're talking about two players who can do both roles, right? Not play as a as a as a lone nine, and also yeah, yeah. play with with two with another partner. Um, so if you're playing with two, you're trying to get the most out of your two strikers, and when you have two players of that quality, you try and figure out a way to make that work. All right, so let's go three five two. Anthony Robinson is your left back, has always been your left back. So who's your backup? Serginho Dest, because he plays left back with PSV. Now, Serginho Dest, for me, is great when you're playing in that system 
when you're dominating, when he's not forced to defend, you're not playing against a Spain, an England, a France, where Argentina may be in some cases, where you're going to be defending much more than you're attacking. And so, therefore, are you going to get the most out of Serginho Dest in those situations, in those games? I don't know. I don't know if that's the, the right answer. But if you're playing... Listen, yeah, I, we talked the last... Po- Sorry, Charlie, last podcast we said it'll be interesting to see if Serginho can defend against Vitsaka and Martinelli. And it was interesting that they didn't start him. Right, good point. And I think part of the reason they didn't start him because they were concerned about defending the winger play, right? So then he bring him off the bench and he's able to make a couple plays and maybe help get a goal. But this will this will be a little bit of an issue. Is I think that Serginho needs to continue to work on his defensive responsibilities. And, and obviously that we all know that's not his strength. But still, he's got to find a way to elevate himself there so that he can always qualify himself for the best and, games. And, and Jesse, mind you, this is an Arsenal side that played Kiwi Yor as left back, Havertz, and Trossard. So there was no speed down that side. There was not really a threat yeah, in yeah. behind. And they still opted to, to start Sergio on the bench. Yeah, w- one thing I, I'll jump in and say that I always looked at defending as just a willingness to do it. Like you make a decision. It's a choice. I'm going to be a good defender in this particular play. And then you go and you do it. And and I'm curious as to why there's some resistance. And you, you say all these, th- these rotations, Jesse, and I agree with you. There's a lot of ways to get the most out of your team, but they're, they still have to meet you where your tactics are. They have to be willing to want to do that. And, and, I don't know if we see that consistently from Serginho Dest at both the club level. We've seen him at Barcelona get isolated and, and, and not necessarily do the work. I don't know. I I just feel like his instincts are obviously going forward. And so to put him in a situation where we couldn't lean on his strengths in a more meaningful way. And and I do think that we can have a back three that's fluid, right? It can be kind of a a fluid back four, right? Because Anthony can just drop in and be a left back if we need. And Serginho could be the right back when we need. And he's just got to cover more of the back post if there's a cross on the other side. But mainly it's about getting him more forward. But to your point, Chuck, I don't know if it's worth with our national team to take out a Timo Weah or anybody else. No, absolutely to make, not. To make, to make room for Serginho Dest to have more space in front of him. Because I, and, it's clear when he's got space and can run at you, he's incredible. And then my question for you, Jimmy, is who are the three center backs? Because I'm don't, i not sure you have three center backs that are going to be, not no, no matter what, starting in a, in a Copa America knockout round or uh, a World Cup final, that you, you could say we have three s- – center backs that have to be on the pitch. And then to Jesse's point, if Christian Pulisic is, is better, more central when he comes inside, if you do a three, five, two, that way you can play him as a number 10 under two strikers. And maybe that could be a way where you get the most out of him. Cause he's going to be forced to move. He can't, he can't just stay in a hole. He's going to have to drift out wide, come inside, check, you know, and you have two strikers to play off of. That could be a good situation for Christian. Yeah, Jesse, I want to. I wanna, yeah, I mean, and. and no, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I do want to say very quickly, I agree with you on the center backs, Chuck. And then, and then Jesse, I kind of want to hear from you with regard to with the 3 5 2, but then, and then let's bring Ricardo Pepe now into the equation because I do think he's doing a lot of the little things that, that we all appreciate that a striker's doing, running the channels, the hard hold up play that has to happen for the team to transition, all that type of stuff. Defensive pressure as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would still think about playing. I like playing where you have maybe you play 
uh, defensively or against the ball with one formation and then you make some rotations and you play a little bit different with the ball so that you create some flexibility and some movements and rotations so that the opponent is can't just press you so easily. So there's lots of ways to do that, okay? Um, but certainly now creating some mobility and some intelligence and understanding of how to play with each other will always be important. Talking about Pepe. I actually think at the start of the match, I was a little worried about him because the game was moving fast and, and he was in the game. But some moments, you know, it was a little bit tough for him to figure out how to, where to be and how to connect. Then he had the chance where he almost scored and it almost brought him into the game. And I felt like he got better and better as the match went on and more and more comfortable, which is somewhat natural given the fact that he hasn't had a start yet, right? So the fact – you're right. He had a very good performance, and I think then he, he really asked questions of the manager on what to do with him here on out. And I think at the very least he earned some more playing time. But this is why this is why it's important for Ricardo Pepe to go to Europe and to play in a team that's playing in Champions League because he's in over his head, right? He's, he's – like you said, he's having to play against very good opponents, very good players – He's having to manage the game. And the more that he gets into those situations, the more that he can adapt, the more that he can develop, and the more confidence he can have that, hey, I can play at this level. So if I'm walking, if I'm Ricardo Pepe and I walk off the pitch after that match, I say, you know what? I did pretty well for myself. We played a great opponent and we 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 played well and almost came away with a big result. And still a, a draw was a big result. Um yeah, can him and Balogun play together? I think so. I think you know, it's not that complicated. If you're up there playing with striker and you have an idea of how to move and if one's coming and one's going or if one's making a little bit of a rotation that the other one's able to to slide over so that they can be connected. For me, one of the big things I like with two strikers is always that they're moving together so that they kind of always know where each other are. They can play little clever f- flicks and one-twos and, and then they, they make it hard for the defense just to mark you 2v2. And then if you can do that, you give more room for midfielders to be joining in late and, and then you can have a dynamic team. So I think those two have that, that capability. They're not big guys, but they're strong. They're not the fastest guys, but they still have some pace. They're good in the air. They can do a little bit of everything. So I think that there's potential for this to be a good partnership. Yeah, it's going to be a discussion point for us, I think, uh, moving forward. And as will Brendan Aronson and his role with Union Berlin. Obviously, you coached Brendan at Leeds. We'll get into that. Union Berlin in their first ever time in the Champions League got bounced. They had the lead against Real Madrid, ended up losing 3-2 to because that's what Madrid does. They own this competition. But now we are down to the round of 16 in the Champions League with four Americans left in the competition. We have the three at PSV. Des Tillman and Ricardo Pepe and Gio Reyna with Borussia Dortmund. And guess what, everyone? The round of 16 draws streaming live on the Golasso Network this Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern, and it'll finish at 7 a.m. It's an hour-long show. We highly encourage you to go check it out and see what happens in the round of 16. There should be some tasty matchups in that competition, which will kick off again in mid-February. All right, we're going to take... Our second break of Call It What You Want when we come back. We got some MLS news to talk about, including the CONCACAF Champions League draw. So do not go anywhere. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yes, more Call It What You Want is coming at you. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and Charlie Davies. We're talking a little MLS, but we're going to start with the CONCACAF Champions Cup. I want to apologize from before I said CONCACAF Champions League, but they got rid of the group stages. It's now just a tournament format, so it's the CONCACAF Champions Cup, and the round one draw is official. And some of the big uh, matchups, one that I really like is Philadelphia Union taking on Saprissa, which is always a difficult place to play in Costa Rica. You got Houston, the Dynamo, taking on St. Louis. That's a good one. Tigres taking on the Whitecaps in Vancouver. Uh, Monterey is taking on Comunicaciones. Uh, those are some of the big ones. Cincinnati, want to see how they're going to do? Obviously, a lot of fanfare falling just short, having a 2-0 lead in the semifinals against Columbus and losing 3-2. Uh, heartbreaking for them, but they were the Supporters' Shield winners, and Nashville's in it as well. So so Inter-Miami, they're in it, but they're not in round one. They got a bye. They have LAFC, I believe, has a bye as well. So uh, it, uh, it's going to be a great competition. And and I guess the question, Chuck, I'll come to you first on this, is more games in the calendar for MLS when you add League's Cup and you add in everything else. Mm. But I think these types of competitions are important because you get out outside of your normal bubble and you get to really kind of flex. And of course you get into the FIFA club world cup. If you win this, it's all about the FIFA club world cup. You, you want to be a part of that. And Seattle, they, they went all in for the competition and they got it. They got the elusive trophy that MLS has been craving for, but then they didn't make the playoffs. So I think if you even ask them, if you go back in time, would you change anything? And they'd say no to be the first MLS club to win uh, the CONCACAF Champions Cup is 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 massive. So uh, I think Inter-Miami are, are the favorites. Uh, as long as you have a healthy Lionel Messi uh, and Tata Martino, you have to go into it, especially with what we saw in the League's Cup. You just hope that um, everyone stays healthy and, and that they're going to be super dynamic. They're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, well, one of the things, Jesse, that Don Garber said in his State of the Union is that there's going to be some roster rules. Now, no, those haven't been revealed just yet. They were having a, whatever, meeting with the owners about what they're going to do. But I feel like the league has to open up the roster and the salary cap in some perspective, even though Don Garber has come out and said there's not going to be a fourth DP, which is a shame for Inter-Miami, so they can't sign all of Leo Messi's buddies that are over 35 years old uh, to try to go on and win this competition. But what do you think about because they have to, I say this because to compete in multiple competitions, you just need more players that can play at a high level consistently to actually say, I'm going to be a treble winner or whatever it may be. They have always tried to make rules in MLS where there's parity. And we in the U.S., we, we like this. And I, I, I like it too. I think that there has been a little bit of competing interests inside the owner group. 
from what I've heard over the past few years and from what, how I was connected when I was at New York or Montreal, that there were always a, a group that wanted to spend more money and there was always a group that wanted to, to build more conservatively. I think we're at a time right now where with the introduction of Messi and now more and more clubs and the league, I think, getting more exposure where it behooves the league to invest more in players and in the player pool and not just to, to elevate the, the level get against Mexico, but overall the level of the league and, and the respect level of the league around the world. So um, we, we're obviously not going to be Saudi and I don't think we want to be Saudi. But I think it's time to start to, yeah, take the handcuffs off a little bit. And they've, to be fair, Garber's done an amazing job of building the league incrementally to help get it to here. But we all know over the years there was, you know, sort of the Beckham rule about DPs. And, you know, there's always been this kind of these rules that have always benefited, whether it was the Galaxy or the big spending to Seattle or whatever it was. Uh, But probably it makes sense to invest more now because I think the upside of where the league is going is pretty clear and, and it has major potential. So, so given your time as a coach in the league, now I, I should say this too, and, I, and I've mentioned it before in, in previous podcasts, but when I came into the league in MLS, the DC United team was ridiculous. Every single starter on that DC United team, Marco Echeverri, Jaime Moreno, John Harks, Eddie Pope, like every single starter, Tony Sana, Jeff Agus, they were all starters for their national team or in their national team player pool. So you could look at their team and be like, there are no weaknesses. All these guys are awesome. And now because of the number of teams, you probably have three or four national team players uh, on each team. And now I thought there was a struggle in the evolution of the league to really develop that, that, that seven through 11 player, or even now to get into a team where you can get deep and really trust 15 to 16 guys. And to your point, I think this has to happen. You have to take off the handcuffs in some ways. So I'm going to throw it back to you, given your coaching experience in the league. And if you want to reference uh, back in the day when we were playing against each other, totally cool too. But, and even that Chicago fire team back in the day was, was stacked, you know, whether with, with current national team players that you played on, or, or we're going to be current national team players with bees, uh, DeMarcus Beasley and, and Carlos Bocanegra. What rule do you wish didn't exist anymore? Do you think could help, these roster rules change. I mean, what do you, what are you seeing? And now, especially from the outside looking in, what do you think needs to happen maybe a little bit quicker? Well, I, I, I still think that what's vital to our league is the development of the young American player. Okay. Obviously we all want the product to be better. I remember one meeting we had with Todd Durbin and, and Don Garber, and we were discussing new roster rules and they were saying how important Tam was and how important academy development was. Right. And I was in the meeting and it was all the coaches. And I said, okay, do we understand those are competing issues? Like the more money you spend on high level players, the less room you'll give to American right. players. And at the time, of course, selfishly, we had the most homegrown minutes in the league and I truly cared. And we at New York Red Bulls truly cared about the development of young players. So I think that we have to still find a balance of finding a way to invest in some big talent to raise the level of the league, but also finding ways to continue to develop in what we are developing out of players and talent out of our academies and giving young players opportunities to play. There's lots of, you know, Poland, uh, Czechoslovakia. There's a lot of countries now that have given subsidizing to clubs to play young players. And I don't always know what the best rules are for these things. However, homegrown minutes, 
when they would just take when they didn't count against the salary cap, that was not for me a good enough incentive to make coaches and clubs really look at what they were doing with their academy and saying we have to produce young players in order to compete in this league. So again, I'm not tasked with trying to get that balance right, but I still think finding a way to to do that is important. Now, Charlie, I want to come to you. And I know you call games to the New England Revolution, played in the league. We we all know your experience. But when we look at, to, to, to Jesse's point, I think what's fascinating is when we look at the top, let's say, 10 scorers in MLS this past year, only one is an American, Brian White from Vancouver. Uh, the rest are, are are foreigners. And then and then when we think about who are the main creators, the, 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 the string pullers for their respective clubs, it's usually going to get somebody from, from South America or somebody from, from Europe to come over and fill those roles. Are we doing our American players a disservice by not potentially trusting those younger players to, to do that? Or maybe we're not creating those types of players and that's the issue. I mean, it's a big, big conversation, but I want you to give me like a one-minute answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean uh, the simple, the, what it comes down to is simply business. Can, can you sell a Miguel Amarone, uh, or you know, for... 20 20 plus million or do you have how long will it take to sell an American at that same pace given that you can bring in a player like Miguel Marone um, and and flip it uh, Tiago Amada another one so I think it it starts with the the academies just develop continuing to bring in top coaches to develop the young American players and if a player is talented enough as a youngster they're gonna they're gonna get playing time one way or another and I think it's just building off those, keep getting those players like an Alfonso Davies, for instance, who can light up the league, play really well, and then sell them, right? I know Alfonso is Canadian, but can we can we produce more players like that? Um, and, and in terms of MLS and not having a fourth DP, yes, um, I think people get hung up on the word DP because you think you can, you can spend anything, right, and get this big player. But it might be beneficial at this stage just to raise the maximum salary cap hit for a player, which is last year was 651,000 or the, you know, the base salary cap, which was 5.2 million. How about that comes up to 8 million, right? For every team. And I think the depth of everyone's roster will be expanded. You can get more players. You can get better players with a higher, higher salary. Um, there's more wiggle room, but I think you just got to continue to try and to figure out when we can continue to find these gems within the academies and then give them the playing time. Yeah. Shout out to Ivis. By the way, Jimmy, I said Czechoslovakia, not in it. After getting the geographical question about Finland, <laughs> I want to make sure that Czech Republic. Sure, sure, sure. Czech. Also, I should throw in an apology to everyone as well. I said LAFC were going to be in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. They're not. I just assumed that they would, but they lost in three finals. They're like the Buffalo Bills all in one season right now. And so they are not in the CONCACAF <laughs> Champions Cup. Uh, Columbus Crew and Inter Miami are going to be the ones that have the buy into the next round. And actually, the crew are going to take on the winner of the Dynamo St. Louis City game, or it could be Inter Miami. One of those two is going to play cool. those. Um, I, w- I would look at my little graphic, but it's so small, I can't see who's playing who. But anyway, regardless, those two are making it into the next round. I do want to say that the MLS Board of Governors meeting is happening tomorrow so we should have a lot to talk about on monday once those new rules are revealed and will they change the playoff format once again who knows we're gonna have to wait and see it's just uh, part of mls's charm but we're gonna take our next break when we return we're gonna look ahead to the weekend and what big games some americans are playing in so don't go anywhere the wait is over the shy returns with new episodes on paramount plus 
You want to bring these to the shed? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Ah, more call it what you want. That is amazing. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and Charlie Davies. We're getting after it. And now we're going to talk about Americans abroad. We'll give you a little preview of what's coming this weekend. And uh, we got Fuller and Balligan. He's going to be taking on uh, Lyon with Monaco. Now, Lyon is last place. So, in theory, Balogun could, in theory, have a heyday here and score some goals. He's got a goal and two assists in his past three matches. We got Genoa versus Juventus. Juve are second in Serie A. Ten-match unbeaten streak. Eight wins and two draws over that. Weston McKinney, 13 consecutive starts in all competitions. So, Maxi Legri clearly... Clearly a big fan. Timo Weah is still injured, so we'll see what his status is. Hopefully he'll roll back into the team at some point. Newcastle versus Fulham. Will Tim Ream actually get to play? He's missed the past two matches due to an injury, apparently. AC Milan taking on Monza, Alkmaar, and PSV. And uh, Chuck, I'm coming to you. Any, any games that stand out for you with these matchups for our Americans? Uh, PSV. I mean, uh, right now I'm, I'm hooked on watching them play. I think Ernie Stewart coming in raising the profile of the club, getting them to compete in Champions League and get to the knockout run. That's that's massive for a, a Dutch club. And, you know, I, I just saw they had uh, DeMarcus Beasley out there and that was back when PSV were in their heydays with, with bees on the pitch in, in the Champions League um, knockout stages, crushing it. So uh, I, I want to love to watch, you know, uh, Tillman, uh, Dest and, and, and Pepe continue to, to do really well. Now, what's interesting, and I don't know how Didn't, much you I know. I think Holland Peter, moved up to fifth, Jimmy. Who's that? Did they in the in the country ranking in Europe? The coefficient I think that the Dutch moved ahead of France. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, which which and it, I mean, yeah, it's that's amazing. Whole, that's the whole know, podcast episode now in I, itself. I mean, it's also and watching Ajax also not doing well in the league, and and PSV doing so well. It's interesting times in Holland, I think. I'm very curious. I don't know your relationship, if any, with Peter Bosch, the manager of PSV, but he took Ajax to a Europa League final and lost to Man United, Jose Mourinho's Man United back in, I think, 2017, and then moved to Borussia Dortmund, where he lasted six months. But what I found interesting about his style was that when he first took over Dortmund, they won five straight games, didn't give up any goals, and then the wheels just started to slowly fall off. He was the first manager in Bundesliga history to ever start their campaign with five straight clean sheets and then got sacked uh which was which was pretty remarkable given there's no that, loyalty that there's no trust yeah yeah well that. yeah I, I guess jesse can speak to that <laughs> a little bit I, I didn't want to talk about it but i guess yeah. i guess it's but, like uh, too realized, soon too soon i maybe it's just i don't know very sensitive but very but sensitive. there's something about what peter bosch is doing with this particular psv team that's very impressive they only lost one game all season that was the arsenal 4-0 in the champions league they haven't lost domestically what is it that you're liking about this PSV team and what Peter Bosch is doing specifically, Jesse? Well, you know what he does really well. I, I was When I was an assistant at Leipzig, he was at Leverkusen. And there they were a little bit more structured. And I think he felt like what kind of fell apart for him at Dortmund is that defensively they were giving up so many goals and then they, they had a hard time controlling results. And so I think at Leverkusen then he tried to play a little bit more defensive 
But I, when I've seen them with PSV now, I really like what I was talking about. They kind of play one way against the ball and another way with the ball. They have a lot of fluidity to how they move throughout the game in different transition moments. And they are able to control the match in almost all phases, which for me is always the goal is can you be effective and strong and clear in all phases of the match, including set pieces. And, and PSV has done that. They've been, I think, um, an intelligent team, uh, a team that it's not lucky that they've gotten the results that they've gotten and they have quality in the team. And I think you're, you talked about Ernie Stewart and, and what he's able, uh, what he's been able to do with the squad and older in order to bolster it a little bit, but, but certainly it's all come together really well. And I think a lot of it is to do with the tactical model and the flexibility and fluidity that Peter's created with his team. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. PSV, 15 games in the Eredivisie, 15 wins, 52 goals for six against clearly That's doing something nuts. right. It's nuts. Uh, and, and yes, they're taking on Azed Alkmaar this weekend who are in third, but they have a 12 point lead over Azed Alkmaar. And we'll see. Fire, Feyenoord's super in. strong too. They're, they're a good team. If you watch them in champions league, they're, they were a good team. And they, and they are, and they're in second Feyenoord and they're 10 points behind PSV, which really speaks to right. how well, PSV are playing right now, but let's uh, let's talk a little Newcastle Fulham. I know we we mentioned Anthony Robinson a little bit earlier. Six consecutive starts, two goals and four assists for club and country in this past seven matches. Jesse, I really like the maturation and evolution of, of Jedi. He continues to grow, and what I really love is I feel like he's finally found that sweet spot of knowing when to join the attack and, and when to hold. And are you seeing similar things? And and have we seen Jedi's ceiling, or do you think he has more to give? And do you think he'll? I've asked about eighteen questions here, but do you think he'll have he'll move on? Keep from going at some point. That's thank you. <laughs> in general, in general, he's a good player. He's an intelligent player. He's he's flexible. He moves around really well. He's really good when he moves with the ball. When we played against him in the Premier League with Leeds, we had a, a hard time dealing with him and, and Villian on the on the wing, and he would do this. How I was talking about using Dest as sometimes an underlap, sometimes an overlap, but creating good rotations and creating dynamic movement. When he starts doing this with the ball, he's very hard to deal with, and he's very shifty and can find ways to get by players, get balls in the box. But for me, the biggest thing that I've seen in him in the last year or so is his defensive ability. So, Jimmy, you talked earlier about with Serginho, sometimes it's just effort and mentality. Yes, of course, you know, certain and certain players are built like that. Like obviously, if you're a center back, that's what you value the most. But I think we've seen um uh, Robinson's play really evolve much more on the defensive side because he's always been gifted with the ball and the way he moves with it, but I like to see it when he's dealing against wingers, 1v1 situation, using his strength, using his his arms to defend and not not being so easy to get by. So he's turned into a pretty complete player and I think a really important guy for the national team. Now, Chuck, Fulham have won their last two games 5-0 and they're taking on Newcastle at St. James's Park, who obviously had a game midweek. You've highlighted that without Tim Ream. Remember? He put- <laughs> yeah, without Tim Ream. I know. I don't, I'm, I'm a little nervous about the but what's happening with Tim Ream because there really hasn't been too much information coming out of the club about what the situation is. Mm-hmm. But but this Fulham team, different gravy currently. Do you and with Newcastle playing midweek in a pretty emotional, tiring game, are we should we expect if we're a cottager fan, do we should we expect a five zero win once again? I, I wouldn't say five zero, but I would I would if I was gonna bet on this match, Jimmy, 
I would bet Fulham because of the injuries that Newcastle have sustained while, you know, trying to balance Champions League and the Premier League. And so they just they just lost Anthony Gordon. They just lost Kieran Trippier. So they'll add those two to the list of injuries. So this new Newcastle team is really struggling right now. And if there's ever a time to get them because they picked up two injuries to massive players, but also their, their, emotional, their emotional team, that energy is super low. Super low because, you know, you're, you're excited to be in the Champions League and you feel like you probably should have got more, especially in this last game against Milan. You scored first, you, you had some better chances and you let Milan back in the game. So um, th- this is uh, one of those moments where you, you feel like Fulham are in a good, a good groove right now, good rhythm, and, and they're catching Newcastle at the right time. I really like Marco Silva as a manager as well. I think he has done a good job of, of getting the most out of his group. But I do want, uh, before we, we move into our last break and say goodbye to everybody, which is a sad moment, of course. We like to talk soccer all the time or whatever you like to call it. Genoa versus Juve. And, and this question is for you, Jesse. And I wanted to ask you in the first show, but I'm like, ah, we'll have time to do it again. Weston McKinney in his last game was all, basically next to Dusan Vlahovic up top, holding the ball up. Uh, trying to lay out, and I love that he's being used in a lot of different ways from Maxi Allegri, but it still makes me wonder what is actually Weston McKinney's best position and where do you think you can best utilize him? Now, I know the the easy answer, one of the default answers would be, well, it depends on the system and how you want to play, but let's leave the system out per se, like just given his skill set, and I know that you brought him into Leeds and didn't get to utilize him as much as you would have liked due to circumstances outside of your control. <laughs> but uh, I, I, we're only two shows in. We're already referencing this stuff. We tried, me and Chuck were like, we got to talk. We can't talk about, about what happened with Jesse. But we're here. We're here. Talk to me about Weston McKinney and, and where do you think he fits uh, best, maybe even for the national team? Uh yeah, you're right. They, they've used him almost like a right-sided striker. He's running in the deep. He's he's uh, being more creative. This is a little bit how Schalke used to play him, right? Remember when he was there, they would play him at wingback. They would play him as a six. They would play him as an eight. They would play him as a second striker. He likes that, right? He likes the freedom. When we were talking before about a tactical structure and then a freedom to go and play the game, Weston is a guy that wants to just go and play. So – They've created a role for him to try to get the mm-hmm. best out of him, which I think is important. And then just defining the the basics of what is necessary for him on the day, I, I, I think is important. I don't know. I probably would say that some version of a 10, but a, a 10 that can be, have some freedom to move around, that can look like an eight sometimes. One of his gifts is running late into the box. He's good in the air. He's athletic. He can finish with both feet. He's, you know, so... I do think giving him a role with a little bit of flexibility will always benefit him. And it's just trying then to figure out how all the pieces fit around him. But, but I like, I like it. I like it when you see a player that, that can play different positions and, and Weston's also the guy that's almost like, he doesn't care. He's fearless. He's like, just put me on the pitch. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's his, mm-hmm. that's his entire mentality. Hey, Mosh. Yeah. I, know you didn't, I know you didn't get to use Weston for as long as you wanted, but uh, <laughs> could you tell me where his best position is kid? because <laughs> we're still trying to figure it out i think from the u.s men's national team perspective but it sounds like when you have a player like that that can do so much jesse it it or even chuck if you want to jump in here you have to do a lot of work to make that fit with the rest of the group right chuck and so that you know, how much do you want to say same with Sergio Des. how much do you want to if you want to put him in his best actual best spot mm-hmm. we have to sacrifice a team away or or others well, have well, to adjust in, in, for that type of talent 
Well, in your case, if we did the three, five, two, you're sacrificing McKinney Musa or Tyler Adams. If when, when he's healthy. So you're, you're sacrificing one of those midfielders and then Gio Reyna would be sacrificed if you bring Christian uh, to, to that number 10 role because you're not playing with wingers anymore. So it, there, it would offer a, a different amount, a different number of problems if, if you switched the, the tactics. But um, I think what Allegri has come to, to notice is that he needs Weston on the pitch because he is so versatile and, and he's just a competitor. And I think that's what Allegri loves about him is he could put him on the bench. He can say, you're in the stands, you're not going to play. And no matter what, He's going to be consistent when he gets on the pitch. When he comes to training every day, he brings it. And Allegri just said, you know what? I need a guy like this. He's going to grind. And that's how Allegri's been playing. We're playing defensive tactics. We're not going to give up anything. And then we'll score one goal. We win 1-0. Old Italian uh, kind of philosophy of just defend defensive principles will be super strong, tactically superior. And then if we win 1-0, we win Two one, it could be ugly. It doesn't matter. We're just going to be clean. And and Weston is a player that can can play in a more advanced role. We've seen him on set pieces. He does get uh, into the box and has scored a, a number of goals in Champions League um, the past couple of seasons. So I, I, I'm I'm happy with how he's been used because at the end of the day, you just want to see him on the pitch. Yeah, and proof's in the pudding. They got eight wins and two draws in their last 10, and long may that continue as they challenge Inter Milan, amongst others, for that Scudetto this season. All right, we're going to take a break. It's break time. When we come back, we're talking a little billion-dollar goal and giving us giving you our final thoughts. So, yeah, don't go anywhere. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. For me, the Trinidad Tobago game. It's magical in so many ways. It meant that we had the opportunity as a country, as a team, to change soccer forever. Those of us who have come from nothing in this sport, we know the strides we've taken and how far we've come. Uh, And we'll continue to grow. But in a strange way, everybody owes everything to Paul Calagiri's left foot. Yeah, that's a good snippet there from Billion Dollar Goal. You can stream that now on Paramount+. Plus. Incredible documentary about how the sport got to where it did here in the United States and where it all started. If you're a soccer fan, if you're new to the game and you want to know a little bit more about, uh, well, there were already some types of inroads, but that really, with Paul Calagira hitting that goal against Trinidad and qualifying us for the 1990 World Cup, it changed everything. And it allowed us, if we hadn't qualified for that World Cup, I don't think we would have hosted 94. And I think we might be in a much, much, much different spot if all that didn't unfold like it did. So I highly recommend checking that out on Paramount+. Plus. I think one of my favorite uh, parts of this, Chuck, is uh, getting to see Grant Wall. He's an executive producer mm-hmm. on this documentary. So obviously having his input on what should be in there and how it should be told and, and what an incredible story this is. But I love just seeing Grant Wall smiling and laughing because that's how I remember him most. most well, it, it, and it's his, his last piece of work, right, that that he'll be remembered by. Um, it's a great honor, great tribute. 
And this is the, the work he cared about the most, right? Uh, former Princeton guy, Jesse. Um, but he, he, he cared about the game. He really wanted to see it grow. He wanted to, to see it get the credit it deserves in this country. And it, it's so fitting that he's a part of, of this historical piece because I learned so much about the game and, and how, you know, how it started in this country and why it took so long for it to get going and, and for us to have these creative players and, and players that are playing in Champions League. And there's, there's a long, a lot, a lot of nuances within this film, but it was really well made. So shout out to everybody uh, within CBS that was a part of it because it was incredible. I learned so much um, and it's a must watch for sure. Now, speaking about Grant Wall, who Kansas City Current and WSL named the press box after him. A uh, very cool honor for him, for him and his family. But when I think about Grant and, and my time with him, it was always interesting to know and, and to think about when I talked to him about soccer in particular, that he cut his teeth in other sports. College basketball was, was one that he wrote about. He had a great cover story on Sports Illustrated about LeBron James when he was still in high school. So he brought that fascination, fascination and, and curiosity to the, the, the game. And, and I thought that that perspective uh, always made what he wrote about it, Jesse, very special. And, and ultimately, when you got to know him as a person, you, you got to see that he was just curious about life in the world in general. And, and that really informed his, his narrative. But uh, yeah, obviously a devastating loss for the community, not only for soccer, but for the world at large. And and it's cool to see him smiling again. Uh, any any fun interactions that you had with Grant along the way? We have a long history, Grant and I. He, the first time I met him, he was like a gangly <laughs> uh, reporter for the Princetonian covering soccer. And we would talk about the offside rule. We were in the infirmary together. So he had mono and I had a stomach flu. So we spent uh, three days in the, during the Lilla, I think it was Lillehammer or Winter Olympics sitting together just in the infirmary talking about sports, talking about soccer, talking about all kinds of things. You're right. He was kind of always handed soccer as, yeah, we have some people to do basketball. We have some people to do other sports. You do soccer until he decided to make soccer his thing. And I think that was strategically a great decision. And it, and it put him, I think, at the forefront of big reporters that started covering the game when MLS started to get big and, and the national team. And, you know, I, he was – the thing I, I, I love the most about Grant is we spent a lot of time together. We, we saw each other a lot. And that's what – our, our paths kind of always found a way to cross and – and when I went to Europe and a lot of times I'd be in a press conference and there'd be a lot of interesting kinds of questions about this American manager and in Champions League or whether the Bundesliga. And I always remember when Grant was there because it was like seeing a friendly, smiling face. And I felt always like I had an ally. It was a soothing presence for me. And it made me feel like, all right, I'm not alone. And, and you know, I miss that. I do. I, I, you know, after, after everything happened, I, I was incredibly saddened. Um, he was a close friend um, and somebody that, that I loved that, that smiling face, someone I loved seeing at different places we were around the world and, and, and football was always at the center of it. So rest in peace, my brother. Um, I, I, I think that him in this documentary is, it's a perfect swan song for him to, 
to showcase his intelligence as a orator, as a, a, a professional and an expert on the game, which is what he became. And it's, it's a beautiful um, story, and I think told by an incredibly beautiful man. All right, we're going to end it there. That's a great way to end the show. Call it what you want. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Take a few seconds. No pressure here, but kind of some pressure to leave us a rating, especially a good one. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And of course, catch us on the CBS Sports Golasso Network. We'll see you on Monday. We're back at you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Later. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.